Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Hi, welcome to today's episode of The Mentor List. Today we are on site, on location, here in the centre of Melbourne in the Royal Bank Chambers building, which is the location for the Melbourne Work Club. We're catching up with the founder and CEO, Soren Tumperduck. Soren is a thought leader on innovation and the new work culture. He has an impressive 20-year career in leadership positions and continues to provide consultancy on workplace optimization to industry leaders, including Google, Deloitte, NAB and Facebook. Soren created Work Club to provide established businesses with a unique boutique solution to the challenges posed by the rapid pace of change in the workplace environment, partnering with TEDx Sydney. So he's very travelled, international guest for you today. He's operating three very successful businesses in their own right, Olo, Work Club and Florence Guild. So I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Soren Tumperduck. Soren Tumperdug, welcome to the Mentor List. Thank you. Uh, so thanks for letting us come to, I guess, your workspace today. And I know you've got a flight to catch, so we're uh, we're uh, we're under the pump with time. But um, yeah, just welcome to the show. And um, I guess the first question, uh, as it always is, is do you want to tell the listeners, and in this case the viewers, um, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so Soren Tumperdug, born in Denmark. Uh, left Denmark in 1990, just for a few months, and uh, never came back, oh, right. kind of thing. <laughs> okay. um, so I went to London first, was there most of the 90s, um, ended up living in Spain, in Ireland, in Germany, in China, in Japan, in Hong Kong, and then ended up in Australia back in 2005. So this is work or travel or play It, it was or? work initially. Uh, I had my, you know, started as a porter in a hotel in London, yep. five-star hotel, then became a concierge and um, ended up being a head concierge and started my own business in London in the early 90s and had a great time yep. uh, well, doing that. You have some stories about, uh, well, the guests there. I mean, the concierge. Yes, lots of stories. It was five-star in the early 90s. and. Wow. You know, a young kid uh, in yeah. London, so I enjoyed that. It was fun. It was good yeah. fun and, and a really good learning ground as well, you yeah. know, around customer service, dealing with difficult guests yeah. as well, you know, that expected the best in terms of five-star. Yeah. Um, so in hindsight, you know, really great learning ground for, for later on. Yeah. And then it was sort of, nothing was really planned. I didn't plan anything. It was opportunities that arose and I took a decision to either go with it or not, you know, at the time. So um, I ended up 10 years with a big American firm. Right. Uh, one of the biggest office furniture manufacturers in the world. Okay. And, uh, Is that Hollow? Uh, no, that was Hayworth. Oh, uh, sorry. Yes. So it's a $2 billion turnover, you know, 15,000 uh, people. And I started wow. in Shanghai with them. Fantastic. In the sort of late 90s. And this is after having done lots of different things, you know, I was in fashion and furniture, different things. I was trying different things out, nothing yep. really planned. It just right. kind of just happened. But I ended yep. up in Hayworth as head of North Asia. 
Wow. Um, so that's quite a big role. It um, was a big role, but it was because there was a new head of the region, Asia Pacific, yeah. who came in. He wanted to change the existing team, and he needed new people on the team, basically. That yeah, was his so. people. Okay. And um, I, was, I was actually in Shanghai at the time, and I was doing a, a business course, doing business in China. It was through, I never went to university, but essentially in the, in the late 90s, I decided maybe I needed to go to some kind of school. Yep. So I went to, and, and I did a full-time MBA wow. in Dublin. Fantastic. Uh, and as part of uh, the thesis, the end of that, um, I was sort of talked into going to Shanghai to, uh, to a business school there called SEEPS, China European International Business School. Right. Um, they'd just done an exchange program with the school in, in Dublin and um, it was this amazing program, four weeks of four hours a day doing business in China. Wow. And it was taught by the director of that school, which was a Belgian guy yep. who had lived uh, many years in China and who had, at that time he had six businesses, was the first foreigner to own a Ferrari in, in China. So wow. he had a, he was an interesting yep. guy and he taught that course. It was a small course, just 15 people, you know, people from MIT, Stanford, great mm. mix of people. Fantastic. And I went to do that course, you know, basically four weeks and uh, ended up staying. And uh, so, I had, so that was it, never was, came back. I was Again. actually, I, I had a business plan. I was going to go with a friend of mine who was Canadian. We were yep. going to start up a business in Canada. Wow. Something called Boat Concept, which is kind of, it's a retail furniture. Mm -hmm. concept um, and we had the rights for Canada and we were going to open we had all the plan and the funding yep. and my ticket was around the world and I was just going to stay a few months in Shanghai and then up in Toronto wow but I essentially called him up and said I'm staying and we're still good friends today okay. so it's all right you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> because it was just way too exciting. Yeah. You know, there's so much happening. And yep. within a month of having been on that school, I had all these job offers and opportunities that, you know, people mm. of my age normally wouldn't get to. So was that the final part of your MBA? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that was the, it was the thesis as well. Got it. Okay. And I started there as the head of North Asia, and I was just in the right time in the right place, I think, mm. or right place at the right time. And um, ended up actually almost 11 years, 10, year, 10 11 years with them, and having... Um, five roles, I think, in the end with them, where yep. the first was North Asia, then we came, um, moved down here in 2005. Okay. They had bought a business in Australia, one of the biggest office furniture businesses here, and I was moved down as an MD, um, and eventually ended up being head of Asia Pacific. Uh, I was head of Asia Pacific, Middle East, and Latin America. Wow which was a region that was about 50 million when, when I started and we took it to 250 million in turnover and the biggest in, in that industry. Yep. Um, and the last role I had with that company was, was moving back to Europe, where I was head of Europe. Okay. Um, which so you was went a, back to sort of the European... Yeah, and you know, a very corporate role. You know, okay. It wasn't a black t-shirt, it was yeah, a suit okay. and tie. Not tie, but the suit and... Um, you know, 3,000 people, 400 million wow. euro turnover, seven so factories. You're in head office um, in a corporate environment, very yeah. different to this one, I'd imagine. Yeah, and I now. was basically heading up the whole business. So I was, you know, a lot younger than everybody else. And the Germans didn't want to work with the French, and the French hated the Italians. And right. it was just a lot of politics, but they needed somebody from outside to come in and try and yeah. get everybody working together. Wow. And I did that to around 2010. In 2010, I went out and started my own business. Yeah. 
And which one was because that, that was my the, furniture business. Okay. So, uh, so this is one of three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, initially, it was a joint venture with uh, the biggest European player at the time right. in office furniture called Bina. And I had 49.9% of the shares. Right. And unfortunately, they had 50.1% okay. because they were listed on the Vienna Stock Exchange. So they needed that 0.1% to consolidate. Okay. Um, yes. But the business was Asia Pacific, including Australia. So we set up being Asia Pacific together. And like I said, I had 49.9%. We I basically went out and hired a lot of people that I knew from my previous life. Yep. Um, you know, we had seven offices, 100 people wow. uh, within 18 months, and I was doing from zero turnover to about 30 million US. Within? 18 months. Wow. So okay. it was very fast because it, yep. um, I knew the clients, and it was, very, it was a quick process. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the uh, partner, our, our Austrian partner, went into financial difficulties okay. back in Austria. Okay. And um, yeah. I was very tight with... Manfred Biener was the chairman, 72 years old. Right. You know, uh, the company was founded in 1782. He was, I don't know, the fifth or sixth generation, you know, of, of yep. running that company. Um, and I was very close to him and the entire board, but they were removed overnight wow. by the biggest bank of Austria, who basically went in and took over all of his shares, Gosh. his 42%. So all of a sudden, my joint venture partner was no longer people that are really new and knew me yes. and my background and um, really wanted this joint venture, they were now the biggest bank of Austria. Wow, okay, so that's a different stakeholder. Uh, all and I didn't know any of this has happened, uh, actually happened, but uh, I, was, I was in Hong Kong, I'll never forget, I was in Hong Kong, was asked to come on a video conference, Right. and two bankers were sitting opposite me and say, we're now uh, your partner, you know, we've taken over. They sat with 70% of the, of the holding company at that point back in Austria. Yep. And they essentially told me that we, we, we want to restructure and we don't want a, a joint venture. Okay. Oh, and that okay. was the beginning so of a very nasty a, yeah. divorce. <laughs> it's uh, a very blunt uh, <laughs> greeting. Yeah, and wow. I mean, I tried everything for 10 months to try and find a way that we could continue. Yep. Uh, I tried to buy the Asian business, I tried to buy the global business, I, you know, I tried to buy the Australian business, the China mm. business, everything. Uh, yep. But it just didn't succeed. Um, there's there's a whole list of reasons for it, and and one of the things I have a view on failures. What you can learn from failures. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll talk about that afterwards. But it, I'm not sure what I learned. But it was it was a very tough time um, yeah. because all of the entities basically collapsed. They stopped delivery of all the products. Okay. So we had no products. But we have, have you got outstanding orders as well? We had contracts with Nokia, BMW. Okay. We were building BMW's new factory in North China, wow. Bank of America. I mean, you can list the names from the top 500. Mm. Um, and they were our clients. Right. So when you can't deliver, there's no products, it's not fun to yes. deal with those guys. Wow. Um, so it was, the whole thing collapsed, basically. And I said, well, yep. what now? Um, and... It took me a couple of months to sort of come up with what what was what was next, and that was work club. Right. Basically, you know, work which club was where a, we are right now. which is where we're sitting. Yeah, and um, I, I actually wrote the idea in two thousand five. So okay. already had I had a whole business plan. I'd written it. This is what it feels and looks and smells like, and the whole theory behind it. Um, 
and that's when I decided to do a work club. So, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for what happened actually. Where you started initially, or sorry, was this in Sydney? Yeah, so, yeah. so Sydney. So we opened Sydney three years ago. Yeah, and um, it was a new business for me. It was a new area, but it's an area that I'm very passionate about. And you know, thinking about my background, most people think that it's actually because I'm coming from a furniture or from a space background. Mm -hmm. You know, spaces, commercial spaces. Yep. But it's that's not the whole theory behind it. The whole theory is around diversity. Right. And um, part of what I did in Hayworth was, was also heading up research and, and was part of think tanks around new ways of working, the future of work. And I've always been around progressive thinkers globally from technology perspective, from yep. an organizational um, uh, perspective to sort of he hear about what's next. And I saw one of the first co-working places in New York in 2005. Okay. And I really liked the idea of that. I just didn't quite understand uh, why it was so industry specific. I th and, and it comes back to a theory that I have and have had since yes, you've, uh, you, you know, this you know with me many, many years. But it's, yeah, it's a theory, out. it's a bit fluffy, I guess, in some ways. No, but I like it. it. Uh, it you're going to have to share it now you mentioned it. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's a theory around Leonardo da Vinci. So he. He lived in, uh, in Florence in the early Renaissance time, where that was the center of the world in terms of new ideas, new cultures, new mm -hmm. inventions. And he, at the time, was very calculative, almost, you know, at least very conscious around who he surrounded himself with in his local network. Yep. Because he felt that diversity in that network elevated the quality of his works. This is the short version, very short version. I think, if you fast forward it forward to today, the relevance is that you know, all the disruption, all the changes that are happening yep. across all industries and disciplines are creating a lot of questions for all of us. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an individual working from home alone yep. or you're a big multinational or national company or anything in between. If you work in isolation to some extent within your own tribe, network, industry, network, you know, call it, call it whatever you like, you're just less likely to find answers. Mm. If you move yourself outside of your tribe, network, industry, you increase the probability of at least getting different perspectives and possibly ideas. So for me, that diversity piece was always key in, in work clubs. So that's why we have an application process to ensure there is true diversity in the membership, because yeah. that's what it's about. Um, so Sydney has been going longer than Melbourne, but in Sydney, there is more than 50 different industries represented, everything from the very sort of conservative, wealthy, sort of high in the town through to the um, sort of crazy in the town, I would say, you know, younger and sort yep. of everything in between and, um, so you know. Guitar players and the billionaires. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the philosophers and the sort of crazy. And you just, just by looking at people, you can see that very different. And yep. that's what we want, that's what we like, and that's where we feel it's, you know, to me that whole diversity piece is almost... Um, to me, it's essential for the, for the future of work, future of business, yep. because to me, it's, it's, it's almost a permission to play in the future. That's how I, I call it. And it's, it's our role and job to create that diversity mix mm -hmm. and then try and create a platform for those different disciplines and, and industries and people to actually connect, create encounters, conversations between uh, those and it goes into a lot of what I talk about. I talk about interdisciplinary and the future of work and yes. how I think that's, you know, whether we like it or not, I think it's just we're heading in a certain direction. And the mm. more I think we can all learn and be aware of that, 
I think the, the better position we're in to reflect on what we're doing ourselves, you know, and I think that's, to me, the whole reflection, the educational piece of work club is, it's, it's what it's really about. And then, yes, because of my background in spaces, you know, how does it smell, how does it feel, how does it look, is important as well. Because there's a lot that goes into this place that maybe is, I don't understand. I mean, I, I walked in here, so I found out about Work Club because um, I came here to interview Cameron Schwab uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I can't put my words on what it is, but there's a feeling you get when you come in. And aesthetically, just everywhere you look, it just seems to all just work and flow. And I mean, there's obviously a lot of consideration and thought that goes into it, which I don't pick up at my, <laughs> my le I don't know what it is, but I mean, I don't want, I don't want your secret sauce, but I mean, I don't want you to give, give away your, your secrets, but what, like, um, I don't know, maybe talk me through, you know, what's so different with, with Work Club um, as opposed to, you know, the corporate office that um, many of us or many of the listeners are probably in now? Uh, in terms of the actual space, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a combination of many things. The people that's in here, um, all the furniture, for example, yeah. everything that's in here, it's from small factories in Europe or here locally made, and it's if it's timber, it is real timber, right. solid timber, raw timber, yeah. not glossed over. If it's leather, it's raw leather, not right. protected leather. It smells, you know, all, all the smells, whether it's the timber, it's the wood, when you touch it, mm -hmm. everything is there for a reason because I think there's a whole well-being around it that most people won't really know where it's coming from, but it's kind of just there. Mm -hmm. So I think the textures, the smells, that every piece in here is made by somebody that's passionate about what they do. I think yep. it comes through. Yeah, it does. In, in, in the actual products and... I think the challenge is often, so, it, it's, a, so it's, it's got, a, I guess, a very homey feel, you know, a very sort of, uh, it's not high-end in the sense that you can't use, you know, everything in here can be used. Mm -hmm. You know, the leather is raw. We've got in, in the library, we've got a leather table. It's raw leather. Yep. So when people put a glass of water or a cup of tea or whatever it is, they put on top of it, it makes marks. Right. And I love the marks, you know, okay. I think it's great. Oh, and people are thinking, sure oh, this is, going. you know, oh, maybe I shouldn't put it there. <laughs> yeah. But we always say, no, you so know, make usable. yourself at home. And it's, it's just everything in here in 30 years is going to look better. It's going to mm. still be great quality um, because yep. it's, it's built to last. Fantastic. And I think that's, uh, but the textures, the smells, and sometimes taking things out, not stuffing a place with things. Yeah you know, with furniture where it just becomes well, it's, really busy. And that's I think certainly it's something fine I balance. see uh, in the corporate space around, you know, you want to get as many heads as you can in one area because it brings down your unit cost. And yeah. it's obviously quite opposite to here where it's very spacious and yeah. many free desks. And it's, yeah. Um, and just the use of new and old, you know, there's, yeah. there's old things, there's new, there's quite a bit of art and um, mm. it just we just encourage everybody to bring all of themselves you know whatever that yep. is dress wise Fantastic. as well you know so it's, we want people to be comfortable yeah yeah there's a, a complete mix of yeah suit and tie or mm. um, yeah well like yourself t-shirt <laughs> and um, yeah it's, uh, it's uh, a really good mix so I guess there's also a sort of a community aspect um, yeah. I mean there's a bar 
just behind us. Yeah. Um, so you don't get that in all offices. So yeah. That sparked my interest. But yeah. um, did you want to talk about the Florence Guild and um, sort of how that fits yeah, sure. in? So that's the sort of the third, the trifecta of businesses that you're operating. Yes. Yeah, so, so Florence Guild started in Work Club and was initially three years ago my attempt to bring that whole diversity together right. once a week. So the idea was let's put somebody on a, on a stool, bar stool, in the middle of the room. No slides, no technology, nothing except that person in the middle of the room passionate about that theme. Mm -hmm. And initially it was all about innovation, collaboration, disruption, those kind of themes. And we'll put a person on that stool specializing in education or politics or whatever it was, um, mm -hmm. robotics, and they would start a conversation. And then sometimes I'll moderate, sometimes there'll be no moderators, but we'll yep. limit the room to 60 people. Okay. And the room would reflect that diversity in our community. Mm -hmm. And we would then try and bring the wisdom out of the room, basically. So it became a real conversation, a bit of friction, well, like good friction. Yep. Um, and it kind of grew for that. If we, initially it was just for members, uh, but then members mm -hmm. um, asked if they could invite guests, and we said, yes, you know, you can invite guests. And then the guest came to us and said, actually, we don't want to be a part of work club. We like to come to Florence Guild. Yep. And we said no for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, they kind of think, well, why, why not? You know, and then it, it started mm -hmm. up as, as its own little entity and yep. identity, I guess. But, but the Florence Guild, the name comes from Da Vinci, from the theory, and yep. really trying to bring people together. And, and the way I think is in... You know, our role as work club is to create these encounters and conversations and Florence Guild is one level, which is the sort of 60 people level, but there's, a, I guess, a limitation to the intimacy of a mm -hmm. conversation when you're 60 people. Yep. So we have around the table eight people, lunches, breakfast, dinners, where we get to a deeper level of intimacy yep. and then the one-on-ones. But Florence Guild has sort of um, just developed, I guess, over the last mm. few years, just sort of organic. We've had amazing speakers. Yeah, I was uh, having a look at the lineup. There's some really big names. Like, do you yeah. want to mention maybe who, who was your favourite? Uh, well, not uh, your favourite, but yeah, one. I can't. Oh, let's, it's, not, <laughs> let's not select, but you one know, you remember. Um, um, I sit there and I, I just, I, I feel I'm learning. You know, mm. I, I normally try and get out of the way. I'm never part of it in any way. I'm not driving yep. any agenda. So. Um, it's hard, you know. I've got many that yep. are, that I love. I'm very excited about this year. So we have a new narrative, yep. which is anti-disciplinary. Yes, you're telling me about this. So uh, do you want to um, maybe talk, talk us through anti-disciplinary? Yeah. Well, um, to me, that's the future of work, uh, of business. So if if you think, you know, older uh, businesses were industry specific, top down, yep. um, not so much collaboration or interaction between industries. Mm -hmm. um, if I look at Work Club, it's kind of the entry point into um, we're creating that diversity and we are encouraging links between those different industries and disciplines. Sure. The end point is that it's not about actually collaborating uh, between one or two industries. If you think about tech, it's been tech plus some industry, maybe mm -hmm. another industry. But in the future, it'll be four, five, six disciplines collaborating, working across these disciplines on specific topics or challenges. Mm -hmm. So the complexity in terms of collaborating, working together, is just enormous. It's a hybrid. It's across all these disciplines. Yeah. And to me, that's coming, whether we like it or not. It's already happening. Uh, technology is a big piece of that. 
And therefore, I think antidisciplinary as a word, is, it's no longer about the discipline, it's about new disciplines appearing mm. out of all this collaboration. And then, well, what does that mean? What does it mean from organizational uh, structure perspective? Mm -hmm. How do you need to organize you as an organization to actually be responsive to be able to do that kind of work? Yep. That's, that's a major question. How, do you, how does that actually link into education? How does it link into politics and so on? And I mean, my biggest area of interest right now is actually the organizational structure. Mm -hmm. what, imp what should you be doing as a business in terms of your own structure? of your teams, your people. Um, I don't believe it's, lo it's, it's, it's top down. It's, it becomes really emergent. And that's a key word is emergence, right. where it basically is from bottom up. How do you structure your business in such a way that your frontline staff, everybody cares and goes that extra mile? Mm -hmm. um, because that's, what ne that's what's needed in that environment. How do you create a community or a client base that is participating in developing Mm. that community client base, they have a participation within your, your boundaries. Um, yeah. So a lot of, uh, you know, my, my thinking is around that, how do we, and, and I'm trying to apply it to work club yep. in terms of the way that we structure ourselves as a business, in the way that we look at our community. These are two things, because I think if you don't adjust that in the coming years, you're gonna disappear. Yeah, yeah, right. So to me, it's almost like it, 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 it's urgent, it's necessary. Mm. Um, you know, I'm trying to learn more and uh, tapping into academia and, and different kind of areas and around the world also to try and really learn from case studies and try and bring that here to Florence Guild as well and talk about that this year. Great, okay. Um, well, I'll definitely link to sort of Florence Guild and also obviously our work club. Um, so for anyone that's sort of listening in and um, no doubt they'll be resonating with, uh, you, you know, you can hear the passion come through um, with what you're saying and they can sort of click through and um, get, yeah, maybe join up to your club or um, have a look at some of the speakers that are coming up in the Florence Guild. Um, so I guess, yeah, I just wanted to move into some of the more structured questions um, from the, the mentalist um, cue card on rapid fire questions. They're not that rapid. The questions are, the answers aren't. Um, so just some advice to yourself. I mean, multiple countries, multiple languages. I mean, what, what would you tell yourself 10, 15, five years ago if, you, if there was that one bit of advice you could give yourself? I think I'm actually, I'm really glad that I did all that travel and, and um, for many years I worried about not having a university or not, but always, um, I think I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from a cultural perspective in having worked. I've, I've worked, yeah. worked in all continents, you know, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Middle East, here, except for Africa. It's the only place I've worked. So right. I think that was the there. best education. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't do anything different. Um, so do you think these locations, woman, has been a big factor in the, the diversity that sort of yeah. flows into all these other areas. So you've seen so many different cultures and yeah. um, places and ways of life. Um, yeah. It must play a big part. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, for 10, 11 years, I, I, I was working with teams all the time. It was all about managing teams. And, yeah. and I think one thing I learned was that, it, you know, the more diverse it was, the more, um, you know, better outcomes mm. most of the time. And yeah. And often it was the ones that was not from the disciplines. You know, if you brought them into the room, 
you will get new ideas. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're educated to, in one discipline and you're very, you know, you know, it's very hard to look at that discipline from the outside. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, and just maybe some habits. So, you know, I imagine um, running three businesses and, uh, I mean, you're, you're off to, back off to Sydney in about 20 minutes. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, I mean, is there habits and that you could share with the listeners around, you know, how you're able to sort of, I guess, deal with so much? And I mean, well, yeah. what's your secret? What are you doing? I'm very disciplined okay. in terms of, there's like three things I look at. I look at sleep. I try and get my seven, eight hours. I'm important. I always get my seven, eight hours. Yep. I train in the morning for about 45 minutes. So is this weights or cardio? Or? Anything. I just yep. need to do something. Something uh, physical. And it's more, it's a mental, it's a mental thing. Uh, it is a physical. I go to the gym, I go for a run, I'll do yep. whatever, but it's a mental thing. I have to do that. It's to clear my head. It's just to, to start the day that way. And then eating, eating well. You know, Monday to Friday, I'm very disciplined in terms of what I eat. And because I feel if I do those th three things right mm -hmm. and consistent, um, I almost feel like a machine, you know, in a way yeah. that I actually deliver. I can do so much more. Uh, I can keep going. You know, I can go the whole day. And if I stick to that in terms of my output, it's just, you know, um, it's, it's like an athlete in a way. You know, I think yep. if, if I get these three right, I'm a machine. That's I it. can go on. Yeah. And then there's always the times, like right now, you know, where you observe yourself and you're, you know, always look at my own sort of lever and, and sometimes I feel, because it's intense, you know, I, I work from a get up to go to bed right now at the moment because there's certain things I want to achieve. Yeah. And at, point, at, a, at a times you come, you know, the lever gets close to the madness right. end of the scale. <laughs> um, but at least I think I'm sort of able to actually acknowledge it and yeah. sort of... Be very aware. Tell the team I'm actually closing that <laughs> side, so bear with me if there's a lot of, you know, um, intensity and swearing, yep, you know, okay. at the moment. <laughs> I haven't had my seven, eight hours, so I haven't hit the gym <laughs> yeah. for three days. So, so. I'll pre-warn and yeah. then, you know, generally they're okay with it. Yeah, got it. Oh, great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so the other one was just a quote, whether you had a, a quote that you'd, you'd like to share with the listeners. I don't have a particular quote. You know, I'm actually... I subscribe to Seth uh, Godin's uh, yep. blog. I love that. You know, I think there's some great quotes there. That mm -hmm. sometimes, so, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I, I read a piece, I save it, and I share it with the team at a certain point where I think it's relevant. Um, yep. Because sometimes it says something that I think or believe in in a better way that I can do myself. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll uh, link to uh, some of his blogs as well. But I read, you know, I, I read quite a lot and very diverse. I try to, you know, I think Monday night I bought twenty books. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, so I normally so have a list. Physical books, or it's different. Some are, it's, it's complete yep. mix. Okay. But, Diversity um, of uh, yes as well. Uh, but I, I have a list and I add, you know, when I hear about books or I hear somebody right. recommend, you know, you should read this. I, I write them down, and when I get to about 15, 20, I buy them all at one go. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah. So what's, uh, what are you reading at the moment? I just finished reading an amazing book uh, called Whiplash. Okay. It was written by um, uh, the MIT Media Lab in the U.S., the director of, of, the, of that lab, uh, ITO. Okay. ITO. Amazing book. And I think it actually sets out really well 
to me, in a very rational, logical way, the future of business. Yeah. And it's very, um, I got very excited because it's very aligned to, you know, the way I yeah. look at it. Um, so it's, it's worth, yeah. So it's how worth does it. Whiplash, the title, sort of play into that? It's just a change, you know, it's, 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 it's a good point. I haven't actually thought about the connection to that, but mm. it's, it's just broken down in a logical way of, of explaining the paradigm yeah. shifts that we are mm. going through. And again, I think it's, it's regardless of whether you and I like it or think it's, it, you know, it's, it's good or not good, yeah. it's happening. Yeah. So the more you can be aware of those shifts, the more choice you have. Mm or the more ability you have to adjust yep. what you're doing. Fantastic. Um, so just while we're on books, it was, is there one you'd recommend that, um, I mean, it sounds like you're thumping through a lot, so. Uh, Actually, uh, I would probably say Whiplash because that's whiplash, the, okay. yeah, I, mean, I think that's, um, that's probably the best that I've read right now. Fantastic. No, no problem. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing that, and I'll have links to that up on the on the show notes online. Um, but just so, so the last question. So we're 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 right on time, and we'll get you on your plane. Good. <laughs> get you away. They're probably delayed anyway. They're always delayed yeah, between true. Sydney and you'll be, well, you'll be sitting on the tarmac for half yeah. an hour, and we yeah. could have kept going. <laughs> All good. Um, so yeah, just so the listeners are um, they're tuned in, they're listening in, and they're resonating with what you're saying. I mean, how would they go about getting in contact with you and uh, which, what would they sort of contact you about? Well, I think, uh, so our website is workclubglobal.com uh, or florenceguild.com yeah. or if it's the furniture side, you know, I, I can talk for days about furniture <laughs> and, you know, handmade things, so that's Olo Group. Yeah. Um, but get in contact with, with us through WorkClub perhaps and um, come in for one of our talks mm. and experience what it's all about. It's hard to explain if you haven't been in and actually sat and listening in and, and see and observe what, what happens. So maybe that's a good entry point because I think that would, mm. you'll actually get a chance to see the community yep. um, and the diversity and the kind of conversations we have. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, yeah, thank you again for um, coming on the show and thank yeah, you. appreciate your time and uh, for, for everyone else, tune in again for next week for another great show. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to take just a few seconds to leave a rating and comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at www.mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.